You're listening to You Don't Know Nick, the podcast, a podcast that explores the generational differences from Zoomers to Boomers as it relates to what's going on today. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Jessica Lynn Verde. And I'm Alex Mitchell. I know a lot about Middle Earth. Yeah, and I know that there were some rings or something. We're the hosts of the Podcast of the Rings. Join us as we deep dive into the lore of Middle Earth and cover the topics and people you might want to know about before the Rings of Power premieres on Amazon Prime, September 2nd. After that, we'll be doing an episode-by-episode recap and analysis once the series is live. Listen for a new episode every Tuesday. And until then, may our roads meet again. Yeah, I'm, that's exactly I'm, I'm the best case scenario. <laughs> um, <laughs> welcome to You Don't Know Nick, wherein the host named Nick isn't even on the podcast as of right now, <laughs> which is why Excellent. I get the pleasure of getting to interview and hang out with you. Nice. Yeah, well, I don't I don't know Nick. So mission accomplished. Well, I think that is partially the gimmick now is, oh, hey, let's we might just talk about this person that no one knows. Um, let's talk about be... Nick behind his back. He's not here. He won't know. <laughs> oh, and, he... I don't, and I don't know him. So whatever. <laughs> exactly. There's no skin off your back right now. Exactly. We have, yeah, I feel good about this. Let's, you know what? If we can get a jab in at Nick every five minutes, I feel good about it. <laughs> or even better, <laughs> let's talk about him like, he's so good at math. Oh like you my god. Like you or he's or like, so uh, not. <laughs> <laughs> like, but, but people don't have to know about that. We just make it up, right? Like That's so true. Um, did you know so, he like learned how to drive on the Audubon? Like that's amazing. I didn't know. That. Wow. I actually would believe it. He's actually one of the more gentlest, kind, sweet men I know. And um he's also very funny. I know him from improv. And we did an improv show together together over the pandemic we had done many but we just decided to do a, a televised one essentially and he just doesn't know any of the cool kids phrases so i thought we'd take the opportunity publicly to educate him on the the cool things that are happening in the world but then i realized by proxy that i'm not cool anymore and that gen z has taken over See, this is the perfect opportunity. Uh, Chappelle has a thing where he's like, I just make up slang just to see if people <gasps> to catch. So that's where you should have done. You should just be like, zip it up and zip, <laughs> zip it, it up, out. Zip it up, zip it doo doo bye-bye. Zip it doo bye-bye. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> wow, you're so right. I actually went to bed last night going, I wonder, because like, I, I'm not a hugely judgmental person, but on the internet, you'll see people start to uh, like adapt, right? It used to be, I'm crying, I'm not crying, you're crying. And like, like you get sick of these phrases. And right now it's like, this is sending me or not me crying. Or um, she said, what? Like these like things that are getting our attention so that we'll watch the video on Instagram exactly. or whatever. So those are starting to annoy me. She's and a 10, but. Yes, 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 exactly. Yeah. And and don't get me wrong, memes have been a cultural aspect of our humanity since we started, but right. the internet meme is a whole different thing, uh, which it we is. can, I, I want to unpack everything that your brain knows, so I'll stop talking. It's, it's half an opportunity for me to just say whatever I want to. Um, but I thought if I'm annoyed by these phrases that are nomen common nomenclature now or like common vernacular, 
the Gen Z kids are say- saying things we have no idea what they're saying. Uh, oh, and even past that, like I have a 16 year old and these Gen Next <gasps> kids, like the ones after the Gen Zs, they're burning it down. So, oh, it's funny yeah. you say burning because I thought that the phrase that they might use is blazing. Blazing. <laughs> they're blazing it. It's bussing. They're, uh, it's most definitely bussing. I think they're still using bussing. Yeah. And I had a dream last night that like one of the slang terms was it's bright, but like B R I T E. Hey, that's bright. Like yeah. I, because I heard works. my brother using wavy before, like, and wavy never really wavy. Ca- caught on. Yeah, I was like, oh, that's wavy. I kind of like, like I, that though. I like it too. It's got it's like a good replacement for cool, right? Oh, that's so cool. That's so wavy, or you know, like it sounds like you're listening to me. And he's a musician, so it definitely fits in the, uh, like the musician world. I think too. Um, and like they say, oh, that's stinky. Like, like my boyfriend's a jazz musician and like, oh, that's so stink or whatever. Like, I hate it, but that's something that they do. So what generation are you? What is going on with Gen Next? I have no idea. Okay. So here's the thing. Um, I, hmm, it's funny you ask what generation I am. So before I left academia, um, Mm -hmm. to, to be a, uh, a studio executive, um, I was working on this book about generations um, and about how the way we talk about and think about generations is really, really stupid. Um, I just got chills. That is amazing. Because, like, we, like, uh, when generations get talked about in popular vernacular, they confuse biological generations with cultural generations. And so we talk about generations as though they are 25 to 30 year spans, and they are not. That's really dumb. Um, So uh, a lot of people, myself included, um, have started to talk about micro-generations, which makes more sense. A micro-generation is only about an eight to 10-year span, because that's about how long a cultural moment lasts before a new one comes along to redefine the generation. And so what generation am I? Well, according to popular vernacular, I am Gen X, but I'm very very clearly not. I'm not a, Xennial's not even a thing. I'm a, I'm I'm what's called, I'm what's called a a C80 or a child of the eighties. And children of the eighties are uh, people who were born basically in the seventies from like 72, 73 through about 79 or 80. Um, and so that, that's, that small micro generation, um, is a different kind of Gen Xer from the, gen, from, from Gen X as a, like real Gen Xers are sixties kids. Um, they're, they're the kids of, of the early sixties to the very early 70s, 70, 71. I would say um, my dad is quintessential Gen X. And then what Gen X thinks Gen X is, is not what Gen X is. Exactly. Um, and so, You're like, for those of us who are C80s, right like, every generation, every micro-generation has a, a watershed moment, a moment that really defines them. Okay. For C80s, it's 1983. Because in 1983, there's this dude uh, named Mark Fowler, um, okay. who Ronald Reagan installs as the chairman of the FCC. Um, and at the time, the Federal Trade Commission was in this big fight with sugar cereal companies who were uh, marketing, you know, sugar pops with sugar bear directly to children. Um, <laughs> right. And parents groups went to the FTC and were like, this is, this is you know, garbage. Like, why are you marketing this directly to our, ch- our children? Um, and 
the sugar cereal companies hire these lobbyists who go to the Senate floor and are basically like, we don't need a national nanny. We don't need these people telling us what we can and can't do. And Reagan comes in and is like, government's not the solution government's the problem he installs mark fowler and one of the things mark fowler does is pushes to deregulate children's advertising and he's successful and so in 1983 you get this passage of this bill that basically says there's that the ftc has no regulation anymore over children's advertising and then in 1984 you get he-man and transformers and thundercats and my little pony and gi joe and all of these things smurfs and snorks all these things we grew up with in 1984 if you're a true Gen Xer in 1960s Gen Xer, by the time the that 1984 rolls around, you're 12, 13, 14 years old. You're not playing with toys anymore. You're not watching cartoons anymore. But if you're six, seven, eight years old, like I was, you're the target market. You're it's being directed at your face, and you're a completely different kind of person than someone born 10 years before you. You are literally not the same generation. It's ridiculous to even think that you are. So for so for those older kids, their watershed, mo- their watershed moment is the birth of MTV in 1991. I was just gonna say, okay, because oh, interesting. Because they're old enough to, for that to be the thing that was marketed directly at their face. And that's why Reality Bites resonates with those people right. in a way that it didn't resonate with me because I was too young for that. And like for, for the most of the birth of MTV, I wasn't allowed to watch it because I was too little. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, we, but I was damn sure allowed to watch Transformers and He-Man and all the things that were for me and so i'm just a different generation and then the kids who are to immediately after us those kids which are the true which we you know micro generationally we call gen y's they're not they're not millennials right, they're, right. they're gen y's those gen y kids those are the kids who grew up on dawson's creek and one tree hill and the cw and when it was still the wb um those are the buffy right Vampire i was just Slayer gonna say kids. yes and yes like those kids have a different watershed moment than we do, and those kids have a different way. Those are those kids are the birth of the internet kids. Do you want to be a, my they're new completely co-host? different. <laughs> <laughs> so my brain yeah. is. I have so much I want to talk to you about now. Yeah, but do me a favor. Tell us who you are. <laughs> who the Who the hell is this dude? Just rattling off stuff. We didn't even didn't even introduce himself. It's no, it's my fault. This, that's, that's the best. That's the beauty of this podcast is I actually don't give a shit, and we're just going. And there. That, so I, but now I'm like, now we cooked them, and now they can't wait to know who you are. Fair. Um, hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Dr. Chris Bell. Um, I am the director of creative inclusion at Skydance Animation. Uh, but prior to that for you know 12 years i was a tenured professor at the university of colorado colorado springs um and yeah this is what i do i research uh culture uh particularly children's culture Um, my work kind of lives at the intersection of children's culture and gender studies um most of my work is in gender um i do some work in race stuff as well but uh basically the the short version of my research area is i study what we give children to teach them how to be adults in our society um and i do that around gender so what do we teach boys about girls what do we teach girls about boys uh and what do we teach them about themselves understanding that gender is a spectrum 
in real life, and there's all all kinds of points in between. But in popular culture, it's very clearly a binary. Uh, and if you don't fit in the binary, if you don't fit in that box, we don't really know what to do with you. So you don't appear in popular culture. There's there's a there's a very specific reason why. We like boxes and we like people to get in their boxes. It's the same thing racially. It's why you see lots of black actors and white actors, but if you're a brown actor, we don't know quite what to do with you so you don't get cast in stuff. Um, so because we're a get-in-the-box kind of culture, gender in our culture is very much a binary. And so that's that's what I study. I study how do we teach boys and girls to be men and women? Mostly because, um, just to get off on a slight soapbox for a second uh sexism is not going to be solved by women because it's not women's problem to solve because women didn't create it and so women can't fix it so when people are like how come you study women's studies and how come you study gender so much i'm like because somebody has to fix the problem and it's not going to be women because they didn't make up the problem so uh that's the that's that's my my mini soapbox for the day it's a wonderful soapbox. I, a friend of mine, uh, like, basically secretly said, you know, Jessica, this is my opinion, and I will never say this out loud un un unless I say it to a, a few select people, but she said it's the sensitivity of males that is really the main problem that our society, society is facing on a global scale. Yep. Um, which even mentioning that is going to make people turn off the podcast right now. Like, do you know what I mean? Don't turn it off. We have so much to talk about. I, there's so much to talk about. But I think it, you said it so eloquently. Um, that doesn't... God. I, oh, there's... I I didn't understand. I understood sexism in that it was exactly as it was supposed to be, and I, and what my role was in that. And if a man took advantage of me, it was my fault. If I put myself in a situation after dark, it was also my fault. And so I never really walked around going uh, like blaming the world for being a woman. I just knew that I knew what the role was that I had to perform in order to do what I never thought I couldn't do mm -hmm. anything I wanted to do. But like I had a really horrible experience at Vegas where these two guys were basically like hounding me and they wouldn't leave the table even though I was playing and they weren't playing anymore. And the pit boss wasn't I even asked the pit boss for like help. Like, can someone walk me back to my room? I don't feel comfortable. An hour later, no one did anything. And I finally decided to say to them. I'm not comfortable with you two here, gentlemen. Like, please leave. And they flipped on me and they said, you just made it weird, blah, 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 blah. But I was really proud of myself for saying something, etc. I told my dad this story and he goes, well, what do you think men think about a woman at a table in Vegas at 2 a.m. in the morning? What, what, what are they supposed to think? And basically that I was insinuating that I was available for whatever they were wanting just by being at a table by myself, just like a man might think a woman's at a bar by herself to be hit on. So as I've aged, these things that I started to learn shifted, especially because I was meeting amazing people like yourself. And the the long-winded thing I'm trying to say is my academia people are my favorite people <laughs> on the planet because it makes me feel so close to glory that I'm like, oh, I could have been – I would never. I never even – I hardly went to junior college. But I I absorb so well. So it just excites me in a way that someone like yourself – I just – you just wanted to learn. Yeah. I mean, and that's that's kind of the point of – Academia, it's 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 always so funny to me and funny not in a haha -ha way, but funny oh. in a like, here's why we're going to hell in a handbasket kind of way. <laughs> um in that we have culturally shifted to treat the people 
who spend their lives studying things uh, somehow as pariahs. outside of society or pariahs or uh, somehow having wasted their time or not worth listening to. And I'm like, you know what? If I wanted to learn how to throw a spiral, I would, and like, you know, Tom Brady was standing right here. Well, not Tom Brady, because fuck him. But like, you know, if someone I, Russell Wilson or like someone I liked uh, was, was standing here and was like, hey, I'll teach you how to throw a spiral. I would go, yes, please. Um, we don't do that with people who spend their time researching things we think we already know a lot about. Um, which is why we push people to study STEM. We push people to study STEM because we don't understand it. And so we're like, yes, go study science and technology and engineering and math. Go do that. That's important stuff. Uh, and we push that, we wow. push that, we push that, and we tell them the humanities don't matter and being an English major is stupid and nobody cares about history majors or political science or communication. And then we wonder why we have an entire society who elects Donald Trump. Like this, like the way in which people disconnect between the acquisition of knowledge and the distribution of knowledge, the disconnect people have there because they feel inferior because they don't know a thing rather than feeling like excited that they have an opportunity to learn a thing in this culture is the reason everything is on fire. It's, it's the literal reason everything is on fire. Now, question: Do you find that that is? Do you find that that's true on an individual basis, or is it true on a societal basis? Both. So, like, okay, so you will meet people that shut down when you talk to them about what you do. When I say I study race and gender, I can literally watch the people's eyes glaze over. Their face just all the blood drains from them. You can face. literally watch it. Because nobody wants. Sorry, because, it's so funny to me. Because instantly people go, "Oh, this dude's gonna say I'm racist and sexist." Right, right. And I'm like, I, I number one, the number of people I've said to their face they're racist and sexist is very low. But number two, the number of people who I think are actually racist and sexist is also very low. Um, trust me when I say if I called you racist or sexist to your face it's because you're racist or sexist like I I don't I don't have the time or the patience or the inclination to shove the people who are at the margins mm. like I don't I, I approach every person as you don't know what you don't know and so like I can't be mad at you for shit you didn't know. Like that's that's not a cool way to be. So if I encounter someone and they say something and it's ignorant and I go, actually, let me explain a thing to you real quick. Here's, which uh, side note, don't ever use the word mansplaining because it's really fucking annoying and we can talk about that too. As a gender, okay, studies, I can't wait. As a gender studies professor. But like- Please, please. It's, it's, the, it's the refuge of white women and we'll talk about that in a second. But like the- I'm so ready. When you, when, when, when I encounter someone and they say a thing and I go, let me explain to you why that's not necessarily the case. Once I explain it to you, then at that point, you know. Like yesterday you didn't know, but today you know. So now from this point forward, anything you do is a conscious choice. How you so, handled even the reception of the information is a choice as well. Well, it is. And I fully expect there to be pushback from people and people to be like, blah, 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 blah. And you don't know. And I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, but like PhDs aren't party favors and like I, 
in my very incredibly narrow, incredibly narrow field of knowledge, my depth of knowledge in that incredibly small field is real, real deep. And so like when I give you my opinion on that matter, that word doesn't mean the same thing in that context. It's not like we're two dudes at a restaurant and I go Chipotle is better than Qdoba or whatever. It's like when your doctor tells you you have cancer. Like you can go get a second opinion, but that doesn't mean the same thing in that context. And so, yeah, people will push back on it or whatever, whatever. But at that point, at that point, I go, well, this is what our society has done to people who know stuff is make you feel like you're the problem for knowing a thing that someone else doesn't know. Um, and, and, and I wish it was limited to the humanities, but as we've seen, like it, got pushed into science too. Like, I'm going to do my research on the vaccine. Well, no, you're not because you don't have three and a half billion dollars and you're not a pharmaceutical company. Like your research, looking up shit on Google on the internet is not a thing. Like that's not, if you disagree with the science on this, that's not a disagreement. You're just literally wrong. Like, like that's not, there, there's no, there, there, that's not a, a, a conversation. That's you being obstinate. That's not the same thing. And so that's my the, no, that's but my so, approach to, to when people have issues with us talking about like racial stuff or gender stuff or whatever. And it's like, cool, comma, but like <laughs> you're I, I can tell you that these are actual problems or, th <laughs> or things. This, this is an actuality. Yes. You saying, oh, but I read otherwise or I know otherwise. That's... I wish people said I, I read otherwise or I know otherwise. What people say is what happened to a dude I knew once was. And then they think that that's a thing. And it's anecdotal. Listen, I'm a huge, I'm a huge anecdotal person. I love going. Hey, this is an experience I had. What about you? Um, right. I, as I've aged, I've certainly learned to go. A, people don't want advice. Ask them if they want advice first. B, I'm happy to share my experience through my lens, but also be open to that experience being incorrect. I happen to have pretty analytical people that come to watch my Twitch shows, and so they will give me a lot of shit for um poorly sourced information <laughs> right. but also the way sometimes i phrase things make it seem like i'm actually believing something i i really kind of want their input and so really sure. the issue is how i phrase things which is of also course. something i've always had to work on of course i'm just saying anecdote is not refutation of amassed evidence i'm trying that's, to that, agree only, with you yeah 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 no that's like, I, like i'm saying that's the only thing i'm saying is like just when someone says, here's a thing that happened to me, I go, cool, and that's great. But, like, here's all this stuff that happened to, like, lots and lots and lots of other people. And so being a one-off doesn't, doesn't necessarily refute everything that's being said in the conversation. I saw a great thread about why uh, someone who you should meet, Hector Navarro, actually, um, who also loves D&D. Um, who I really want Todd to meet. So nice. our mutual Todd Stashwick is how we met. And yes. he literally had a breakdown when he saw that the anniversary of MTV launching 40 years ago or whatever uh, made him want to sail out to sea on an iceberg. <laughs> so. he's, got, he's got like seven, eight months to get right with it. Yeah, yeah. He, <laughs> it took me about that long on this podcast to realize I wasn't relevant anymore as well. So I, yeah. I, I can relate. Um, but, but like my dad's, my parents hated each other, but their song, quote unquote, was Video Killed the Radio Star. So you're totally oh, yeah. right that that's his generation. Yep. Um, again, I'm jumping all over the place, but because I'm so stimulated by what you're talking about. So cool, cool. this 
the tweet thread that I saw was someone who did the research and read a really interesting book about how people's obstinance with the the vaccine and COVID is really because we're we're in a caste system. It doesn't apply to me. The major issues of this, like, you know, being sick or being unable to work, or I think I'm going to be able to transcend these problems, um, exist. Like, people thinking they don't have to wear a mask could be derivative of people believing they're in a higher caste, whether they realize it or not. Could that be also what is happening with people who think that they're educated enough? Yes. Got it. Yeah. I mean, and let me let me be the first to say a lot of education doesn't necessarily mean you're smart. Right. Like I've right. I've I've been in rooms with lots of educated people who were fairly dumb. So that's not <laughs> that's that that's not those two things aren't necessarily correlated. But what I do think is that we as a culture have systematically devalued expertise. We've systematically devalued expertise, mostly so that people who are unqualified for things can still have them. Um, it, it, we can just take a walk around the House of Representatives and you can see that. I mean, I'm from Colorado. Lauren Boebert is a thing. She's uh, she's li- literally one step above like the pond sludge in oh terms of intelligence, God. and yet she's a United States representative. Like, we have, you know, the Marjorie Taylor Greens of the world and whatever, whatever. Um, and the only way that those kinds of people get elected is if we make it so that anyone can be president or anyone can be a senator or anyone can be anything. And when I was a kid, they used to say that. Anyone can be president, anyone can be president. But literally, the way we say it now is like, no, anyone can be president. Like literally <laughs> any dude off the street can be the president. Like we, we don't say that in the same way that we no. used to. No. Um, and we don't say it about being a senator or whatever. Like there's something to be said for being qualified to do a thing. Um, and what we, happened? What <laughs> is it? Is it a chaos theory situation where like a bunch of different things fed into yes. a funnel? Okay. What happened was anyone can be anything was cool when it wasn't true. Ah. Anyone could be anything was a cool thing to say when it wasn't true. Uh, and then we had a black president, and then we were about to have a woman president, and then people were like, no, we didn't mean that. Like, we didn't, no, not like that. Like, that's not what we meant. We did and the black got, thing. Why do we need to do the woman thing? And we didn't mean anyone. We meant like any white dude. Yeah, 100%. Um, 100%. And so then they got the worst one they could possibly find because it was better than continuing down the road of anyone who was qualified could be a thing. How? Why? <laughs> this is a huge, these are huge questions that I don't have answered. That I don't even I don't even expect you to understand what I'm asking. But like, how? Well, here's the easiest thing I can tell you. My father is believes Trump is a true patriot. My my condolences. Yes, my brother doesn't believe COVID's a real issue. Also, my condolences. So I'm I I, lo- I actually can feel a little bit more ignorance because it's family. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm a little more ready to go. Tell me how come you believe this thing right. or why or maybe this might. I remember one day I was driving down uh, my one of my hometown streets with my dad, and he goes, "You know, my dad said, uh, Jessica, you know I, what I realized is, uh, gay men are attracted to gay men." 
other men in the same way I'm sexually attracted to women. And they can't help that. Yes. <laughs> I know. It was awesome. It was awesome. It was a moment of clarity that I was just Crazy. like, good job, dad. And th- there's so much more beyond that. And, that. and to the point where we don't talk right now. And I love my father, but for as good as he was, he's also fragile. Um, Families are complicated. They are complicated. And the brother I still am in communication with, but he's, he's about to have a baby and they're not going to get any vaccines for the baby whatsoever. None? Um, not, what's, not whatsoever. Oh, well, that baby's not going to school. Yeah. Uh, and he thinks, yeah, it, it's it's hard to have conversations with him because also I'm not that educated because I can't argue to him that the CDC is always right because the CDC isn't always right. You don't and, have to be that educated to understand polio is real. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't have to ever have opened a book to know that polio exists and well, so do the measles and the mumps and rubella and diseases that were smallpox and things that were easily eradicated a hundred years ago aren't around today because we don't get them. You don't even have to be that old. In his lifetime, people don't get the chicken pox anymore. I didn't know that. Your your kid gets a vaccine against chicken pox. My my child is 16 years old, has never had the chicken pox, and will never have shingles. Why? Because there's a vaccine for that shit now. Whoa. Whereas when I was a kid, I literally went to a birthday party where they gave us chicken pox on purpose so we would all have it at the same time. Shut up. That's a real thing that really happened in the real world to a that lot is, of kids. That, like everyone just said, let's call it a One a kid week. gets chicken pox and then all the parents rejoice and go, fine, we're all in it together. They send all their kids to a party. They all give them the chicken pox at the same time and then everyone has it and they just are over it. Holy fuck. That was welcome to the 1980s. That was a right. real thing that really happened. Well, I mean, and logically speaking, it's not the, it's like kind of makes sense. If it's yeah. going to happen, it's going to happen. And if you want a team on your side or whatever, like if that's the way to cope with something that we don't have otherwise skills for. Exactly. It, it can't be faulted. And I don't think you are faulting it, but holy mother. So God. my kid will never have a chicken pox because you don't get that anymore. And like that, so you don't, again, you don't have to do research to understand that. It's, it's, it's literally the way that the world works. Well, so I think the issue is he's being applied to emotionally because he's not necessarily Republican, but he's, you, you know how you were just saying about like, let's not, I don't want to push people on the margins. We had a real, as like liberals, a really great opportunity well, it's actually a horrible way to put it. When Black Lives Matter actually finally got the attention it deserves, we had a bunch of conservatives going, well, I don't agree with a lot of the things that conservatives are saying right now. We had an opportunity to welcome those people, but instead we went, oh, but yeah, you still think you shouldn't have an abortion. Or like we we, we yep. pushed them away. That's what we do. Yes. <laughs> my my One of my favorite lines in the history of popular culture was written by Aaron Sorkin. It's in the first episode of the newsroom, and mm. it, the guy goes, if liberals are so fucking smart, how come you lose so goddamn always? And the truth is that it's because we are de- we have designed ourselves to fight, and that means anybody. Whoa. Whoa. So, like, for example, um, Roe v. Wade gets overturned. 
Some people start wearing Handmaid's Tale outfits immediately. Other groups of women start attacking women going, don't wear that because you're ignoring the history of uh, of brown women who had this happen yes. to them or black women who had this happen to them. I'm like, can we fight the people who were already fighting first and win and then fight each other? But liberals cannot do that. They cannot actually come together and fight in one direction. They just start throwing hands in the dark at whatever it is that they can hit. And that's the difference. Conservatives don't know shit, but they're organized. <laughs> Liberals know everything and therefore cannot get along with each other in the same room. So that's the that's the 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 difference. It's a it's a and it's a perfect difference. So this is something I was trying to quantify during the pandemic because I sensed myself doing this. Whenever I would see someone not wearing a mask, I would get indignant and I wanted to be the person to say, wear a mask. You should be putting your mask up on your face. And I did this also in a really weird like uh, section of my life. I'm sure it's because of my own trauma, but I was at the poppy fields and people were stepping into the poppy fields, which is illegal, to take pictures. And I took it upon myself to tell everyone, you shouldn't stay on the trail, stay on the trail. Mm -hmm. And I examined that behavior and then I could see it in other people. Just because I knew something was right, I felt like I had the right to police everybody else on it. Right. Because I finally had... Not, I have no control over my life, but I can control someone else's or something. And so it's, it's, it's a phenomenon that I saw really come to light during that pandemic is when is. everyone felt like they were right. They had the right to speak up about it. Yeah. And, and because and like in this case, it's because you're so demonstrably right. And it seems so ridiculous to you. Yes that people don't see how demonstrably right you are. And so it's frustrating to have to fight the fight in the first place. Mm -hmm. So what you forget is that, and I'm going to be a, I'm going to be a rhetoric professor for you for a second. Let's do it. Let's do um, it. So, I'm learning so much. I'm so excited. So Aristotle outlines 10 things that you can do in order to be a more effective arguer. Um, they're called the canons, Aristotle's canons. Most people know the first three. You learn the first three in like 10th grade, which okay. are ethos, pathos, and logos, right? So ethos being your personal character, your personal credibility, um, pathos being your ability to manipulate emotion, both positively and negatively. Empathy, essentially. Empathy, basically. And logos being your ability to construct a logical argument, to, to construct the argument. Okay, so you've got those three things. He says those are the major things, but there are seven minor canons that people don't really think about. And there, there are things like Thanos, right, which is like the appeal to death, like we're all going to die someday. So, you know, that's the, bringing that into the conversation can help. Or I will cut. never forget that because Thanos in the comics wants to court death wants and they almost death. went that way in yes. the movies. Yes. I'm in. I'm all in. Okay. So yeah. Thanos. Appeal to Thanos. Kairos, which is saying the right thing to the right people at the right time. Um, so that's about timely appeals. 
uh, mythos, like appealing to our traditions and our, so all, there's all these things. And he says, all of those are great, but the, but the, the biggest one, the main thing you need, and if you have this one, you can flake out on all the others, is a thing called eunoia. And what eunoia is, is that very simple, do I like you? And if you have eunoia, you can flake out on all kinds of stuff, right? And any any parent knows this because like my kid is super cute mm-hmm. and has and always has been mm-hmm. and knows like I'm her daddy mm-hmm. and like so she'll she'll uh, she'll use that and like so she'll make pathetic appeals, right? Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> like to to try to manipulate your emotions, right? And you can get, and you'll ignore that. You'll go. I know I'm being manipulated, but that's cool because I love my kid. Or like you, you ever anyone who's ever sat and listened to their grandfather talk about the terrorists who live across the street, even though there are no terrorists across the street or whatever, and you go, you're not even really qualified to judge what a terrorist is, but you'll listen to him because you love your grandpa, and that's Unoya. And like, so if you can get that Unoya, if you can get that likability, we'll ignore the flaws in the other parts of your arguments. Um, and so. One of the things that conservatives have banked on in the past 20 years is Unoya. Rush Limbaugh, not qualified to talk about literally anything, but his people like him. And and he's a real personable guy. I used to listen to his show every day, not because I'm a Republican, but because I was fascinated by how well he was able to use Unoya to get his audience to overlook the huge flaws in his argument, like the big gaping holes, because he's a likable guy and he's kind of funny and you kind of like him and therefore you let him talk about shit he has no business talking about. Um, and that, for me, that has been the the way in which they have worked this into a space where you don't have to know what you're talking about, as long as you're likable. And then that's how George Bush gets elected, right? Like right, he looks, 100%. he's kind of, he's the kind of guy I want to have a beer with. And I'm like, right. I don't want a kind of guy I want to have a beer with to be the president. Like I want a dude who's so overqualified, it's ridiculous. I want a dude who makes me feel so dumb that he knows so much more than I do because he actually knows so much more than I do. And I think that's why people voted for Obama, and I think that's why people got mad about Obama, because not only did he know more than us, but he was a black dude who knows more than us, and that's that dog don't hunt. But yeah, like that's, we don't. That's not, a, that's not a thing that flies. Which is certainly something we can unpack, but is is, is talked about everywhere. I, I, my question is, because I also do want to get to the mansplaining thing so bad, because I feel like I need to learn I'll it. I'll come back to that. Yeah. I can't wait. What... Is it possible that because we don't exactly understand what a president is supposed to do, that we don't know what qualifications we need to uphold in that yeah. office? Oh yeah, which is why which is why discourse, and it's not just now; it's been that way forever. Not even forever. I can actually tell you the exact moment it started, but it's why. I mean, please, let's go. It's why we talk about not not being presidential but looking presidential and sounding presidential. I heard this about <laughs> Boris. He would like go purposely fuck up his hair yep. before he walked out of whatever that place is. 
so that people will go, oh, I'll just look at him. What an idiot. Yep. What's so dumb? True story. Because then yeah. it masks all of the actual bad intentions that he has. Wow. If you just wow. write him off as like this lunatic dude who can't even comb his hair. So it's about looks and it's about looks and sounds. It's not about what your actual knowledge base is. Um, that comes out of the election of Franklin Pierce, by the way. Um, who is that? Why don't I know this? Franklin. Okay, so everyone talks about Abraham Lincoln saving us from the Civil War. Sure. Nobody talks about Franklin Pierce talking us into the Civil War. Um, <gasps> so Franklin Pierce is president back in the 1800s, uh, 1840s, um, who uh, is a is the son of a state senator um, who is kind of a Kardashian of his day, mm-hmm. uh, has really no discernible skills whatsoever, um, but decides he wants to be president. Uh, this is pre-radio, pre-television, pre-everything. So... Um, soapbox and soapboxes and, yeah. and traveling on trains and whatever. And so how do you get your name out there? Um, well, it, it, it's tough. Um, so he goes to the he goes to, he gets uh, to the Democratic National Convention. Remember, at the time, Democrats are Republicans. Republicans right. are Whigs like we're, that. That's it's switched. So he goes to the Democratic National Convention. He's up against two people. One dude is uh, is clearly the most qualified person in the room. Um, probably would have been a pretty amazing president. He's never going to be president. He's never going to get to be president, mostly because he is like four foot 11 inches tall, five feet tall. Um, His guy named Stephen Douglas. And in high school, you learn about like the Lincoln-Douglas debates. That's him. Um, He is exceptionally qualified to be the president. He's not going to get to be because he's, he's a little person. And so right. he's not going to get to be the president. Right. Um, you got to give him credit, though, for even still trying, word. despite probably everyone saying, what are you doing? Yep. Yep. 100%. I mean, that's actually pretty remarkable. Because, like, he's still in history mm-hmm. and still made an impact. I, I People in my, in my family said, Jessica, don't go into acting because you're not pretty enough. Like, like so, like, that could have been enough to make me stop. So he definitely overcame some. Yeah. But... But it's hard to probably overcome because you're probably looking first thing in the paper. You're hearing about Stephen Douglas, like little shorty over here trying to basically, you know. yeah. yeah. And 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 everyone made it a point to continue to point out how how big he was. Yeah. The other the other person uh, Pierce is up against um, is James Buchanan, who mm-hmm. may or may not have been America's first gay president. Okay. Um, and, and almost certainly was, almost certainly. Um, I mean, probably a lot of them were. He's the only bachelor president we've ever had. Whoa. Like literally, like uh, every like now historically, people are pretty sure he was gay. So, wow. so you've got you've got these two guys, and you got Franklin Pierce, and Franklin Pierce's whole platform is basically like, you know, for, vote for this short dude or this gay dude, or you're going to vote for me. Um, and so everybody votes for him. Um, okay, so now he's got the nomination, but nobody, literally, nobody knows who he is. So what do you do? Well, if you're college drinking buddies with uh, the hottest author on the planet, you have him write a book about you. And so he did. Um, he basically went to college with like the Stephen King, like the J.K. Rowling of his time, uh, which was a dude named Nathaniel Hawthorne, who's coming off of two really huge books, one of which is called The House of Seven Gables, which is like the first Amityville horror. Like any any movie you've ever seen where the house is the enemy, that's a, a version of the House of Seven Gables. Like Wild. he invents the haunted house. Um, and the other book is The Scarlet Letter, uh, 
which we're still making, like Easy A with Emma Stone, we're still making that movie. Right, yes, yes. 200 years later. Like, what did you write today that 200 years from now people are still doing? So you've got these two enormous books. Wow. So so he goes to Nathaniel Hawthorne. He's like, I would like to uh, be uh, the... You know, president, and he goes, "Cool, I got your back." And he writes this book called "The Life of Franklin Pierce," which which is all you, fiction. Let me guess. We, well, it's what it's what in modern terms we might call based on a true story. Um, <laughs> <laughs> in that there is a guy in it, and his name is Franklin Pierce. Got it. Uh, yeah. And that 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 book, that work of largely fiction, sells Franklin Pierce to America as the next great hope for America. And in, you know, whatever it is, uh, March or April or whatever, when he gets the nomination, nobody knows what he is. And by November, he carries like 13 of the 18 states and becomes the president of the United States. Um, And the reason I always talk about him is he's our first media president. He was the first president who got elected not on what he could actually do for the country, but what what media said he would do for the country. Um, And it's been that way ever since. And so really since the 1800s, being the president is not about anyone knowing what that job actually is. Right, right. It's about who media convince people, who has the best media to convince people that they're better at the job. You know, and that continued all the way through all the way. Th- I mean, you think about the 1930s and the newspaper scandals. You think about the 1960s. Right. And Nixon looking bad on television and Kennedy mopping the floor with him. You think about the 80s and Reagan being a movie star and Walter Mondale being a dude from like the grocery store. Mm-hmm. And you think about now where a reality television host mops the floor with someone exponentially more qualified than him to be the president. Because, because of the of strength of the Unoia. media he could generate for free and because of Unoya. That's the whole, that's the bottom line of all that. So, I mean, it is because no one liked Hillary at the end exactly, of the day. Exactly, because people didn't like her. And so it didn't matter that her arguments were better, that she was more qualified, that she knew more, she was more connected to the American tradition. She was more, none of that mattered because they didn't like her. Right. Unoya works in both directions. Oh, to- totally. I, I mean, I, 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 I know that being personable, white and blue eyed, gets me in the door almost immediately to be accepted, and 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 then I get to do whatever I want. You know right. what I mean? Like, because again, that's societal too, right? Like Hillary had that going for her, right. but then she just you know by being connected to Bill and everyone getting to see what his legacy really is or whatever, she right. loses out. And also the, probably being threatening to men in general. Right. In the same way that being a six foot two inch, 270 pound black dude makes things more difficult for me sometimes in certain situations. Right. Right. It's, it's, it works in both directions. So, oh God, there's so, there's so much to unpack in just the most wonderful way. I'm, how do you, how do you, how do you just friend people? How do you? <laughs> Well, first of all, so just so you know, it was so nice that you're like, I want to go see Jess at Comic-Con. That is so hard to do for me. Like, because there's so many people that I would love to see. But you made it a point, like, I'm going to go see her. And that made my day, just so you know. Yeah, it was was very thoughtful. There are some thoughtful people out there. So I I actually remembered when you followed me on Twitter after we played together, I was like, why aren't more people following this person? And it's it's probably because you're too smart. No, oh, I I doubt it's that. I I think it's also because I'm like 
a volatile chemical. I'm like chemical X. Like, but you're it, the gentlest, sweetest <laughs> bear hug of a person. You're not, nothing has been volatile ever about you. But I do, I do tend to say things that people don't like. So, but that we also do live in a society where we like that kind of incendiary commentary too, like that. Where we like it when we're on the same side of it. Got it. Fair. We don't like it when it blows up near us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> sure. And I'm an equal opportunity offender. Like Which, I just point out things that are wrong, whether they're on the same side as me or the other side of me. Like that's 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 the main how is that different from what we were talking about with fighting each other oh i know that i'm right time place and space that's there we go got it yes time place and space knowing your audience knowing when etc exactly wow um okay so let's unpack mansplaining okay can i i need i need coffee though so (laughs) give give me two seconds do you need water you can take a couple of minutes no it's your podcast intermission whatever yeah Hello, listeners. It's your new friend, Philip Matas, here to advertise in your ears. If you're looking for a good read, I would highly recommend a book that I wrote. It's called The Murderous Haircut of the Mayor of Bel Air, and it's a funny and exciting mystery, which is the first in my Psychic Barber Mysteries series. It is the story of Danica Lumen, a struggling hairstylist who also has secret psychic abilities. Normally, she touches the heads of her customers to see just what type of styles they want, but things go sideways in her life when she touches the head of a new customer and sees a dead body. The murderous haircut of the mayor of Bel Air has collected tons of five and four star reviews, and it would like to collect one from you as well. So just search for Murderous Haircut Philip to find my homepage and learn where best to buy your copy of your next favorite book, The Murderous Haircut of the Mayor of Bel Air. And now, back to the show. Are you a cat person or a dog person? I am 100% a cat person. I kind of knew it. Yeah. I kind of knew it. <laughs> I I literally just walked by my 22 pound Russian blue. Who's <gasps> you have? A, I also have a Russian blue. You do? He's not. He's not that big. He's like maybe 12. Oh, I'm but, gonna. We're gonna. I'm gonna show him to you really oh. quickly, and I'm gonna disturb him. I have this big bed that he sleeps in, and he was just like looking at me, like, "Hey, just." <laughs> Come touch me. And you know what? I'm going to. So here, you right? have to see him. Hold on a second. Uh, yeah. And the best part about him is that he's he's dumb. He's, he's so adorable. He's so adorable. Of course he's dumb. That's like the breed. Yeah. Our Simon, he's also, he's dumb as opposed. He's like, he, dumb. Yeah. That's the breed. They're, Someone they're not told me smart. that blues tend to just like glom onto one person has they that do. been true they pick yeah, they okay. pick their person and that's their person and like he's not i mean he's he's totally a lover so like he'll let us pick him up he'll let us but but he is olivia's cat he is very much olivia's so cat so sweet she, I, so. I, I wonder does she even know how 
amazing. Oh yeah, is. like she. We got him when she was six, and he was a kitten. So for the past ten years, he has been her cat, and she very much knows he's her cat. How sweet! Well, so, so. he had the challenge of. Um, he never had, had been in a car. He belonged to people two houses down from him, um, from us that didn't like him or just like let him sit outside. Like he was just a trash can cat, which you just these those people didn't know how to care for animals, and it's yeah. a whole nother story for another day. But yes. my mother, that's upsetting. Her, exactly, my heart her heart bled for him, and they were he was her cat. But then she couldn't. She was moving out of the house that we were all living in and couldn't take him, so I had to take him. And again, we were all living together. We like so he knew me, but he's had to let me be his person because there's no one else that is his that he can glom on to besides right. me. But he's he loves dudes. He loves when like people come over. He likes smelling people's feet because he's as he's very sociable too. You're so pretty. You're so pretty. He's adorable. Yeah, he really. He's a, he's my good guy, and he likes to me like this for a good little while. Um, he's actually t- he's actually totally blue, which is cool. Oh, um, yours is it? No, he's got he's got white patches. Oh, interesting. Yeah, which is common. I have, yeah, I actually I've never heard of that before, but probably mostly because I've just only seen this. I have a um, diluted torty who's also diluted. We also um, had a torty. She just passed. She passed away. She was eighteen. But, oh my god! I'm so yeah. sorry. Yeah. So, but we uh, but then we got a calico. So we have a we have a blue and a calico. So sweet. Yeah. They don't like each other, but that's <laughs> at all. <laughs> I actually had to put down like my, so this, uh, it's, that's black and white painting is mm-hmm. of my soulmate cat who died last year. Oh, my soulmate cat also died last year. She was yeah. my, like that my torty was, I, her name was Hermione. Um, and it. I had, I got her when she was, years. she was six weeks old when I got her. Wow. Um, and uh, she, I, Every single day of her life, I was with her, and like, I used to take her with me places and like on trips and stuff. Like, she was my she was she my knew girl. how to do it. She was my girl. I um, and they're always with you, you mm-hmm. know. Like, I so I'm sorry. I just there's still days where it's just like, I totally feel his absence. It's oh very, yeah, it's there are still days hard. where I look for her, especially when I'm sick. She was <sighs> the best. She was the best when I was sick. She would just come and she would lay right here and she would just purr. And she just knew you weren't feeling good, and she just knew to take care of you. Like, she was amazing. I think there's a, a study that's going on about how the purr is at a healing mm-hmm. frequency, yep. and they know. Yep. He, her, I did a um, an improvised show, and my character started crying while, you know, I was, I was recording. It was live. There was nobody there, but a TV was. I started crying because I didn't know what else to, how else to end the scene. And then two minutes later, I see blue at my feet, and I'm like... <laughs> You thought I was in pain. He can't because he won't come to me unless there's food or you know. Right. So it was a gorgeous moment. And that black and white, that boy did that too. He would like be right here. If I was sad, he was like just hanging out. He also was a glutton for being touched too. So it could have been it could have been one of two fair. things. Just to be fair. All right. So let's talk about mansplaining because I feel like I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna swallow some pride and I'm gonna learn some stuff. I short shrifted it a little bit. Uh, uh, so I, I just sort of made the remark and then I moved on. So let me. Well, no, there's me, so much. There's the, your brain. Your brain is so exciting. <laughs> let me unpack. So when you're a a man, mm-hmm. b a black man uh, who studies gender for a living, you end up in a lot of academic spaces with white women. 
Um, because a lot of women go into gender studies. A, a lot of women go into gender studies, and particularly a lot of a lot of well-intentioned white women mm-hmm. uh, want to study feminism, and I get mm-hmm. it. So you spend a lot of time in rooms with these people, um, and one Ooh. of the there there are a couple of shields that white women, in particular, in gender studies kinds of spaces, use to distance themselves to dis to distance the intersectionality between I race and gender. I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were going to say yeah. that. To distance the intersectionality between race and gender. So they say a lot of things that are problematic. Can I ask you first why? Why are they doing the distancing? Is it so that they feel like they're as their victimhood is as valid? Yeah, because because another thing when you do when you do any kind of DNI work uh-huh. um, or 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 DEI or what's now starting to be referred to as Jedi, uh, which, oh. I, which I think is amazing. It's actually kind of great, right? Now it's justice, equity, diversity, and inclusion. I'm so now cool with it being Jedi. Jedi. I'm, I'm cool actually okay with that. I'm totally fine with being a Jedi. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm cool with that. Um, one of the realities of doing that kind of work is that there are people who are in it specifically to compete in the oppression Olympics. Um, and they want their oppression to be the worst kind of oppression without understanding all oppression is bad and it's all equally bad. Um, but they want to compete and they want to win. They want to win gold medals in the oppression Olympics. Um, and so uh, that's why, that's why they distance. Is there a world where, because again of the media or like like if you're a lobbyist or if you're working for a nonprofit, you can't get attention on that cause unless you chain Fair. yourself to the door of the Congress, right? Fair. Like I'm not saying that that's a good thing, but is it possible that they know that they have to be the outspoken, the most abused? Oh, it's fun- most- it's definitely functional and instrumental in in, in a lot of ways. You're, yes. But then you start to internalize it, and then it becomes a personality, exactly. which is where it becomes a problem. Okay, exactly. gotcha. So there's shields in so order there are to shields. do that. Okay. Yes, um, and there there are shields of different kinds. Um, one of which is, uh, and and this isn't just me. You can Google this today. Like okay. if if anyone is out there listening to this right now and is gonna doubt what I'm about to say, Google is your friend. Um, one of which is uh, crying. There's a whole there's a whole thread about white women's tears, and like the value of white women's tears. There's a whole thing about it, and how when you start to question women on the things that they say particularly a certain strain of white woman, they will cry and then that gets them out of having to do whatever the work is of unpacking whatever it is they've done. So that's one. Um, Another one is particularly if they are being questioned on something that they have said by a man of color, they will frame that as mansplaining to put the onus on gender to get them out of talking about whatever offense they have created. Oh. So they say a thing and you go, actually, let me explain to you why that's wrong. And then they go, I don't need you to mansplain to me. And I go, no, but you need someone to not let you white-splain this situation. So like that that dichotomy of, and I'm and that is not to minimalize the amount of times that men have marginalized the contributions of women just across the board or whatever, but it's not a universally applicable principle. It's one that then can be weaponized by white women 
to diffuse the real experiences of men of color with a, or of LGBT men, uh, particularly the GNT parts of that. Sure. Um, yeah, sure. It's, it's a this way is blowing to... blowing my mind, but makes so much sense. It's a, it's a way to get out of, of understanding, even though you're a woman, you still occupy many, many privileged positions that you still can have problematic behaviors around. And you don't get to get out of that by just saying, I'm mansplaining to you. I thought Bill Burr did it great where he was like, white women are like, oh my God, it's so bad. This is so bad. And he's like, shit, sit down, shut the fuck up and take your- He, take got, your... he, he got in a lot of trouble for saying that out loud, but he was he? 100% correct. Oh he's yeah. He's 100% correct. Google Google that shit too. Like what happened, like the, fall, the quote unquote fallout from his SNL monologue. Like he got in a lot of trouble for that too in the public square for calling it out specifically. Because we, when you're not, when you're not used to being called out because you're in a position of privilege, you're not wanting to hear it on a public space either. Yep. I remember. When you're used to privilege, mm-hmm. equality feels like oppression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's the bottom line. It's, that's, that sounds like it in a nutshell. I, I went through my own journey of learning that just uh, having some bigotry or prejudice or racism that I was that was ingrained in me doesn't make me a white supremacist. Like learning the two between the like learning the difference between the two. I'm not a bad person. I can learn these things. Right. Helped me to be able to accept being called out, which was a journey in and of itself. And then I was with my friend Elisa, who's um, black Latinx. And we were with somebody who I called out for their behavior towards me, another white woman. And I, I was, oh God, I was, in, I was, it was like the coolest thing. This person had, for a long time, I, this person had felt threatened about me. And I finally was able to say, hey, you think you're better than me, don't you? You think you're this. And I was able to just calmly say that. And then waterworks immediately. And my friend says, that was white woman's tears. And I was like, I, Fucking no, it was because she didn't want to be held accountable for the 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 truth of the matter. And even when she was pressed, I didn't let it go. She says, "Oh, I, 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 if that's what you think happened, I'm so sorry." Tough, but also what a great insight into that person. I do recognize that they weren't ready for this, this, and so that's not necessarily my fault, but or not there. That's I don't hate them for it. But it does help me know who I'm dealing with at that point Fair. as well. So so then when – because I also think when I say so, like someone's mansplaining something, I don't think that that's going to get across to that dude anyway. Is it, is, it, is it better in your opinion to walk away from a problem or – like because you're – like you've explained like a couple times like you'll tell someone, hey, this is why this is wrong. Mm-hmm. You're probably met with a lot of defensive behavior. For sure. Or shutting down more than anything. For sure. Do you stop? Do you oh, not no. tweet back? Do, like, oh, I well, wait. But I answered too soon. Yes, you do not tweet back. Like, you don't tweet back. No, like, yeah. But but that's just my general principle on Twitter in general uh, is don't tweet back um, because Twitter Twitter is not full of rational human beings having conversations. Twitter is full of morons throwing poop at each other. What is that? Why? I don't know. It's it's just a, it's a it's a cage full of chimpanzees at the zoo and all they're doing is throwing poop at each other. Like I Twitter it, literally I think the greatest thing for humanity 
in general would be for all of Twitter servers to go up in flames today. Like, I think it would advance humanity exponentially if every one of their servers went up in flames today. I think it's a cesspool. Um, And so, yeah. Does someone like Elon Musk actually want to change that? No, absolutely not. Why does Elon Musk want Twitter then? Because it got him three months of free publicity. Gotcha. So this is just someone who knows how to manipulate public eye. That, that. Elon Musk gets credit for inventing shit he didn't – that was already in existence when he bought it. Like, that dude knows – that dude just knows how to keep his name in the press so that he can make more billions of dollars. Like, yeah. I don't expect anybody to have this answer. But why does someone like Franklin Pierce or Donald Trump or Elon Musk – want power what is that power is great why power so awesome like if like if you went to the grocery store and they was like power is on sale today you would absolutely you'd buy, you'd buy six of them power is amazing to the point where it's worth killing other people depends on how much power you're trying to get but why do we want that much power because people don't want you to be able to tell them what to do at the end of the day people don't want you to be able to tell them what to do and it's inter- like i've talked about this pretty extensively with my with in my own in my own work but so plato like 3500 years ago 2500 years ago uh plato uh, writes this story in the republic um about the the ring of gygus um, short version of the story is uh, there's the shepherd. He works for the prince. The prince is pretty mean to him. Uh, the prince is, you know, married to this woman. She's really beautiful, but really cold, and nobody, you know, uh, can get close to Ice her. Ice queen. Ice queen. So the shepherd's working out in the field one day, uh, and there, a rift opens up in the ground, uh, and one of his lambs falls in the rift, and he goes to get the lamb, and on the ledge where the lamb is, there's a ring. And he takes the ring out, and he puts the ring on, and it turns him invisible. Um, and he comes out and he's like, well, what am I going to do with this ring? And then Plato asks, well, what would you ask this this dude? Uh, what would you do if you had the ring? And the guy said, well, I would do all of this charitable stuff and blah, blah, blah. And Plato basically was like, bullshit. bullshit. You would not. <laughs> what you would do is you would put the ring on. You would go to the castle. You'd murder the prince in his sleep. You'd sleep with the princess. You would, you know, take all the money and you would either use it yourself or you distribute it back to the village. You would not do, you, you would do injustice if you had the ability to do it without being seen. Because what makes you do things that are good is not the goodness of it. What makes you do things that are good is that other people are watching you. And in the and in the absence of other people watching you, you will do badness. And not only will you do badness, but if you went to your friends and were like, hey, I have this ring, and so I used it to do all this good stuff, they would go, oh, what a good guy you are. What a what an amazing person you are. And as soon as you left the room, they'd be like, what a fucking idiot. Like, why didn't he go murder the prince for us or steal the money or blah? Like, people would react to you as though you were an imbecile if you didn't do the things that are bad, right? Now, Plato goes on to argue that that's not the way you should look at the world or whatever, but he makes that argument pretty clearly uh, first. Um, And so I think power in our modern society is its own version of the Ring of Gygus. Like, I talked about this a lot around, I wrote this thing about it, um, about Bill Cosby and how Bill Cosby 
is the ring of Gygus for William H. Cosby, who is a serial rapist. So Bill Cosby. Holy mother effing shit. Bill Cosby is out here selling you Puddin' Pops and the Huxtables and, you know, Fat Albert and, uh, you know, um, all this st- picture pages, which was like a huge part of my childhood. And like all this stuff out here so that he can drug and rape women back here and no one will see it because he's wearing this ring called Bill Cosby out here. Um, and so, you know, that's why people want power, because they want to be able to put that ring on and then do whatever the hell they want. And by whatever the hell I want, I mean their worst instincts. People want to be able to indulge their worst instincts. And that's and I'm no, I don't mean all people. I don't mean because there would be some people who would get the ring and would do really good stuff with it. Like um, Frodo Baggins. Like Frodo Baggins. Or right? Samwise Gamgee. Right, which is why they're the only ones who get to carry the ring because the reality is most people are not Frodo. Most people are Boromir. Exactly. Like, like that's, the, that's the reality. Fuck. The average person is not Frodo. The average person is Boromir. And so but everyone thinks they're motherfucking Frodo. Everyone wants to be, everyone thinks they're Frodo, but most of you bitches are Boromir. And that's the truth. Good so Lord. The, so that's, which is why... Gandalf lobbies for Frodo to get the ring because he knows Frodo is Frodo. Right. I mean, it plays out differently in the movies where it's like, I'll do it. And and it's kind of beautiful that Frodo knows that he has to be the one to do it. And Gandalf always knew he was going to be the one. Trash. It works better if it works better if Frodo doesn't even know he's that good of a person, but Gandalf does. So that's kind of my point too. So like if someone were to be like, hey, by the way, I put this ring on and I murdered the prince, but then I gave the money to everybody and they told me they did that, I think that person's a piece of shit, even just for telling me that. Yep. Like, not because they should have done the things that like like idiot. I don't the quiet victories I feel like I have are when no one knows that I've done the thing. There is something to that. It also maybe is a point of pride in some ways. But if I think there's something to that, that doesn't mean that putting good out there for, but like, you know how people just tweet about every fucking thing that they did and they gave a cup of coffee to a homeless person today and I clothed. Good for you. Honestly, it's awesome. You're sharing like a really great thing, but shut the fuck up about it, is my opinion. You want to buy a homeless dude a sandwich, buy a homeless dude a sandwich. You want to buy a homeless dude a sandwich and then tell everybody in the line you're buying a homeless dude a sandwich, then you're doing it for the wrong reason. I think so. Uh, But I can also see the inclination of why people do it because it makes them feel pretty good in the moment. Like, you know, like there's the psychology of you have this idea, oh, I'm going to make a business and you tell people I'm going to make this business happen. You get the same dopamine hit. Telling them you're going to do it as though you, as though you, as you, if you did it. Correct. So I, it's amazing how our psyche fucking works. <laughs> There's a reason that posts on Facebook, you get to put a thumbs up next to them. Because <laughs> that's what people want. It's why, job, do you po- why do you post literally anything on Facebook or on Twitter for that matter or anywhere else? You po- you don't post it because you're trying to get your information out of the world. You post it and then you come back an hour later or 10 minutes later or one minute later and you go, did anybody like this? Did anybody did, did anybody tweet this? Is anybody mentioning? Or, am I in the mentions of anybody? Like you, you don't do it because you just want to, you know, put 
information out into the world. You're doing it for a specific purpose. I post a thing on Facebook and then I see how many people like it and then I go, I'm funny today or whatever. Like you're like there's a thing that you're trying to do. That and that's and that the the flow of that is not from Facebook to the population. The flow of that is from the population to Facebook. Facebook has that feature because people need it. People don't need it because Facebook put the feature on there. No, like, it would have been anybody that gave it to us eventually. Exactly. I not. I, I was actually just thinking about how obnoxious I was. I was in Asheville with two of the best people I know who I can't wait for you to meet one day because you will be like, yep, you're the the best people. Um, And my best friend and her husband are just the most delightful people. And I just so happened to see a video from TikTok and I retweeted it and I said a funny thing about it and it went viral immediately. It was the first time anything I'd ever done had gone viral and I couldn't stop checking it to this day. People, it was a year, over a year ago. People still retweet it. And I was like, you guys, 100,000 people have liked it. And I was obnoxious. And I had nothing to do. It was a really interesting learning lesson. Like, I had nothing to do with the creation of that video. I only had a commentary about it. And I went viral immediately just for doing one thing. In me. Like, And I felt like a fucking rock star. Right. I I had a I'll, I'll give you a similar experience. So, one thing nobody here knows about me. Okay, I spend all this time talking about how I'm a you know I'm a feminist scholar, do gender studies and all this stuff. Right, I spend like a good ten to twelve hours a week watching professional wrestling. So, uh, I love it. I love it. Is, You're in which, this this community is perfect for you. Which by is the way, legit terrible for everyone involved. So, <laughs> um, so I, I'm watching, you know, I've been watching wrestling since I was five years old. I'm a huge wrestling fan. So about a year ago, um, two of my favorite wrestlers uh, at the time um, were a tag team uh, and they had been broken up for a while and they got back together. Uh, Who was it? Changed their name. Uh, at the time, it was Liv Morgan and Ruby Riot, who now goes by Ruby Soho. She moved to AEW out of the WWE. It's like a whole thing. It is so, a whole thing. I know very little, but I know a little bit about all that. Yeah. yeah. So they have been the Riot Squad for a long time. Um, and then they broke up and then they got back together. Um, and when they got back together, they were like looking for they they were looking for a new identity. And one day, I tweeted I tweeted uh, something to the effect of, "So, Riot Squad broke up, and now they're back together. What are we going to call them now? We should get, they, they should have a new name." Uh, and I was like, "They should call themselves Live to Riot, right?" Um, and I posted that, and I tagged them both, and then I went on with my day, and it got like three likes or whatever, blah blah blah. So cut to like two weeks later, they show up in ring gear and on the back of their jackets, it says live to riot. And I was like, and exactly the way I spelled it and exactly the way I did. And I was, and I lost my shit. I was like, I like, I thought up the new name for this team and they wore it on television and it's like a big deal. And I was really cool about it. Now I could have just sat there and been like, I did a cool thing for people I really like. And they did it. But, uh, of course, that's not what I did. Like, I took a picture of it, and I took a picture of the tweet, and I put it on all my channels and on all my stuff, and I was like, see, people listen to me, and <laughs> they, and I, I have influence, and I'm cool, and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, and in the very limited wrestling community, people were like, oh, shit, that's cool. But, like, 
people in my regular life were like, uh, what? <laughs> like, it, it, sure. it, it didn't really, you know, it's like it doesn't really register. The whatever, impact wasn't but, there in the same way. But then you go, well, why did you, like, why couldn't you just take your victory? Like, why couldn't you just take your quiet victory and just like w- walk walk away? Like, what is it in us that wants uh, that wants people to go, oh shit, dude, cool, like you did a thing and it was awesome or whatever? Like, that's that's the that's the twenty four thousand dollar question. Are we chasing? the the unconditional congratulations from our mother when we poop in the toilet for the first time right right i i really i'm so i'm listening to a, the, uh i think what is it is ernest beaker is his name or becker uh the denial of death and the whole reason why we glom towards the hero aspect of things in order to basically supersede death in its many different ways and the more i'm understanding like he's he's breaking down freud in a way i'd never understood it before like oh what is anality or all these things and holy shit is it all derivative of our childhood and we're set up for failure based off of how our parents treated us and what we want and the validation or if we got enough of it if we didn't even if we did um at the end of the day all someone wants is an attaboy yeah, like a pat, a pat on the back, and you're a good girl, or you're a, you're a smart boy, or you're a whatever. Like, that's and it's really- not such a bad thing, but it's the the lengths at which we go to get it when it's at this when our self esteem isn't strong enough to go. I also can give my when I remember I was at an audition, and I was like, God, I just want someone in my life to know all the things I've done, and to like just say that how proud they are of me, and 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 like intrinsically know how hard this has been for me and then i realized i'm the person that knows all those things that i went through and i can say i'm really proud of myself because no one will understand it from my perspective right it was a huge moment for me (sighs) i had this i had this professor once who was otherwise kind of a terrible person but Mm -hmm. who said a thing to me that will always it will always stick with me um which was we did this exam uh, and blah blah blah, and and like half the class failed or whatever. Uh, and she's like, and I realize like for some of you this will be a, a huge blow to your self esteem, uh, but I'm not really sure you should assume yourself if you do this shitty of work. And I was like, actually, I th- I weirdly I think I agree with you, and I hate that I agree with you, but there you go. Well, a broken clock's right twice t- <laughs> twice in a day. Right. I know that you are – I just could talk to you forever. I I literally don't know Nick anymore because I don't care. <laughs> but, um, oh, Nick, I wish you were here. We could have had a conversation. Well, we, when he when he comes back from paternity leave, which may be never at this point, you, well, I'll have you back. You'll get to meet him. He's delightful. Um, or one day you'll see him on TV because he's a very he's – simil- he's a quietly successful actor. Thanks. As some of us are. If you could summary one thing, or if you could leave this audience with one takeaway, or if they just don't take away anything, or even if it's like, <laughs> I love wrestling, what's like one sentence that you would want people to remember you by or today by? Oh, wow. Okay, that's tough. Um, I know, I know. That's why I ask it. Okay, so people act as though reading a book is so superior to all other forms of acquisition of knowledge. But keep in mind the same companies that published all the TV shows and films and radio and whatever that you think is so beneath you own all the companies that publish all the books too. 
So whether you get your information from watching a, a documentary or from watching a really interesting television series or from listening to a really interesting podcast uh, or from reading a book, the, the, the modality of it is not the important thing. It's the acquisition of knowledge. Like want to learn and stop caring where that knowledge comes from modally. That is like, t- that's tough though, because like my my brother who doesn't believe in COVID, etc., is getting all that information from Instagram. So in a weird way, that's saying that screenshot is as much information that someone's getting from J and J. No, what it's saying is is a book published by a moron is not better than a documentary published go. by someone who knows something. There we go. That's fucking that's, awesome. That that's the difference. Like like the knowledge. And the quality of the knowledge being transmitted is what should be important to you, not that you read it in a book versus watched it on television or saw it in a movie. It's that dumb people can write books too. How are we to know the difference? That's the last question I have. Get your information from more than one source. Love that. I fucking love it. <laughs> Triangulate. <laughs> um, that's that's the that's the if if all your information comes from one source, trust me, your your knowledge is flawed. <laughs> or like minded people. Trust me, your knowledge is flawed. I love that. If everything you learned came from one television station or one radio station or one strain of book publisher, you your information is necessarily flawed. Wow, I love that. Is. So you told me you did a podcast with your friend that I met at Comic-Con. Let's hear it. What is it? Okay, so it's still available on Apple Podcasts. There are four seasons of it. It's called The Deconstruction Workers. Mm. Um, And it's a pop culture podcast where we just pick a topic and talk it out. So we did everything from... We did an episode on fan, how fandom work. We did an episode on Hamilton. We did an episode on what's called transgressive fandom. Like if you're... like like adult men who were fans of My Little Pony, for example. Uh, right, bronies. When you're a fan of bronies. Like when you're a fan of things that you're not supposed to be a fan gotcha. of. Gotcha. We did a thing on fan fiction. We did a thing on, I mean, we. I did a whole episode on Cloak and Dagger because it's literally my favorite Marvel television show of all time. Oh, I love um, that. We did, Yeah, so I mean, we did, we all kinds of stuff. So uh, the deconstruction workers on Apple Podcasts, if you're interested in checking out some of the, some of the stuff i'm interested which is why i wanted you to remind me so i i i, I thank you for making the time to see me of course this. anytime this is yes. this is uh, this is amazing and fantastic and i always love talking to you so there you go well the feeling is mutual so <laughs> i'll talk to you hopefully another time yeah absolutely anytime. all right bye okay bye That does it for this week, Nichols. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of You Don't Know Nick. There are many different ways you can support our podcast. One of them is going to youdon'tknownick.com and finding out all the different places you can listen to our show. You can also follow us on Good Pods, which is basically Instagram for podcasts. Not only can you follow your favorite shows, you can listen to them right there in the app. If you're interested in finding some You Don't Know Nick merch or Jessica Lynn Verde merch, go to subtlegeek.spreadshirt.com. And if you're not already consider becoming a patreon member you can get exclusive swag and early access releases to episodes if we're able to get them to you in a timely manner go to patreon.com slash you don't know nick and if you haven't already leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts see you next week nichols